0: we are here what is up everyone and welcome to episode 433 of combos court and i am combo don't forget to rate review and if you haven't already punch down on that subscribe but in today's show jason 10th of hoops tonight joins in to talk lakers trade ideas will clay thompson ever get all the way back to Prime Form, Jordan Poole's recent play, and more. Go subscribe to Hoops Tonight with Jason Timpf on YouTube. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. man welcome back to combos court how you been how's your holidays anything new and interesting
1: not really man i mean it's funny because the holidays when you get um for the younger folk who listen when you get married there's (laughs) just there's just twice as many family gatherings then when one of you have who have, have parents who are separated like my wife's parents are separated then it's three times as many family gatherings and it's just like and then you got friend groups and other ancillary friends. And there was a day Thursday last week before New Year's Eve. That was like my first night where my wife and I just hung out in something like 17 days, which was crazy. So I'm, I'm kind of as much as I enjoy the holidays, because I love slowing down to spend time with family. Like, dude, I'm so ready to get back
0: into a routine have a little bit more downtime. So when you have these blocks of time, when it's family time, do you f- fool yourself into thinking there won't be any basketball analysis? Because I just like, I go into those th- things thinking like, I'm still going to work. I know I'm still going to work. Cause if I don't, I-, I just feel antsy. Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, like I'm
1: new at what I do. So like February 1st is my one year with the volume. And then even when I started with Raj, that was, about the holidays of 2020. So I've really only been doing this super regularly for about two years. And, uh, so like, I've got all that, like tons of motivation and it's, I, I I've, it's just, I block off that time. Like, that's just my top priority. Like th- that's my career. I'm focused on it. I give it everything I got. So like, in my and I have a very supportive wife. That's another huge part of this too. So like, for instance, like I wasn't supposed to work on Saturday, but You know, LeBron, 47, 10 and nine, his best game of the season. And then the Warriors went in their fourth straight without Steph. Like, it was like, you know what, honey, I got to put I got to take like an hour and a half this morning to get get a video out. You know what I mean? So like and she's super supportive about it. And it's just it's one of those things where I, I just am super ambitious about it right now. Plus, dude you know how it is, man. We love the game. So it's easy work when you love the game, you know? Speaking of the Warriors,
0: there's this thing, and it went on with the Grizzlies last year when a player loses their best player, there's like this phenomenon that sometimes they play even better. I think some of that is is that the Warriors never had a problem with ball movement, but some teams, the ball starts moving better. The opposition can't really zero in on anything because they're used to zeroing on the team's best player. What have you seen with that? And what do you think about that phenomenon? Why does that happen, in your opinion?
1: Well, I think, I think it's a bunch of different things. Like you and I both know that in the NBA regular season, the motivational advantage pendulum swings one way or the other, there's always different factors there. Like, are they in a party city? Like, are they on a long road trip? Uh, yeah. How many games have they played in the last four or five nights, like all these different things that play a role. And a big part of it is, it's just like the motivational advantage of who you're playing against. And I'll, like, we've just seen that in the NBA. I mean, who was it? Minnesota last night lost to Detroit. Like that's, if I, look, I know Minnesota's got some issues, but I'm sorry if they if they put their foot down on Detroit, they'll beat them. They just didn't take them seriously, let them get confidence, and the next thing you know, they're they're in a flow, and you struggle with them. And the Warriors, in particular, if you look at their season, um, yes, they lost some depth with Otto Porter Jr. and yes, they lost some depth with Gary Payton II, but they're still one of the more talented teams in the league. Like. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they don't have that super duper star, but they have a lot of guys aside from Steph, but they have a lot of guys who are very good. And, you know, Jordan Poole's an all-star level player uh, on any given night. He's not a daily all-star, which is what makes an all-star. So he's got a little ways to go, but he's a very talented player and he's averaging like 28 points per game since Steph went down with injury. That's not exactly a fluke. Like he's that kind of talent. Draymond green. Dude, I've seen four times in the last two games where he's stopped two on ones at the rim in pick and roll because dudes just don't know what to do. Like they can't, like he can effectively take away the drop off pass to the dunker spot. And dissuade the dude coming down to the rim like no other player in the league. It's insane. And so those two guys stepping up and playing like all stars. Jonathan Kaminga kind of kind of fill, filling into that Andrew Wiggins spot, dude. They're getting big contributions from Dante Divincenzo. You know, they're the guys are guys are making guys are making plays and they're stepping up. And honestly, early in the season, inconsistent effort was an issue for them. And I think Steph's injury kind of bred some of that urgency that they needed so badly.
0: So Steph has exceeded expectations more than anybody on his team, right? Like him coming into the league. Nobody knew this would happen. Like in my opinion, he's a top 10 player of all time. Dre and Clay, Dre and Claire, the same. They, I mean, with the expectations is Jordan, the next guy like that. Um, I think he's starting to separate himself from like the Tyrese Maxis and the Tyler heroes, right? Like of that mold. I know you might like Maxi a little bit better from your facial expressions, but, <laughs> but I mean like the defense isn't there. And to me, the decision-making over a long period of time is that conducive for him to be an all-NBA player, right? Like, can he make the right decisions repeatedly, right? Like, Steph and Draymond can, even though Steph could go off and, you know, do his thing whenever he wants and he plays with creativity. But can Jordan Poole be that next guy in the Warriors that just exceeds everybody's expectations exponentially?
1: Not to rain on the parade, but no. Okay. Um, For the For the – like – uh, I think Jordan Poole is another very good guard in this league. And he does a couple of things outstandingly well. For instance, like these days over this, uh, you know, last, you know, whatever this is, nine, 10 games without Steph, he's been getting to the foul line a lot, which is obviously monumentally important for allowing you to set your defense on the other end of the floor. There's a bunch of benefits to that. The playmaking and the defense are so far behind what the best guards in the league do that it's really hard to imagine him kind of taking that step. I mean, that's been my biggest thing with the Warriors and their ideology of, you know, kind of two eras or whatever, two timelines or whatever, is like that works when you've got, you know, three guys and Steph, Clay, and Draymond who are all NBA level talents. Like Clay Thompson made all NBA teams, you know, and and then you have another three all NBA talents in that next era. And it's like, I don't think Jordan Poole will ever make an all NBA team. Maybe he will. And uh, like, and if he shows that development, we'll call it out when it comes, but I think he's got a ways to go to get there. Jonathan Kaminga has got a chance, but he's so raw, you know, Moses Moody, who knows, you know, James, like that's the tough thing with the two timelines thing is like, who is the guy in that group? Who's a shoe in all NBA guy. And I don't know if that guy exists, which is precisely why I've disagreed with their approach. I really like Jordan Poole playing good basketball think he's got a ways to go to get to becoming a franchise like cornerstone type of
0: piece well i mean you even said he's playing at an all-star level the foot speed is ridiculous the skill set as an offensive score is ridiculous um he ex- he was a g-league guy so he exceeded expectations already
1: yeah absolutely i think what well, i can't remember what, what, he was a middle first round pick right if i remember correctly i, I if think I so thi- yeah yeah but like yeah, the, uh, we did a big thing on Jordan Poole in our show this past week, and I watched a bunch of uh, additional tape on him. You know, his pick and roll stuff is pretty average, uh, which is indicative of pick and roll is more decision making. You're reading more like you're having to read three defensive players in the same play in a way that you don't in isolations. But he's actually thriving in isos. He's I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but. He's been the second best passer out of ISO this year minimum of uh, wow. minimum of 20 plays where he passes out of ISO and he's been the seventh best points per possession ISO player overall counting passes for people who have ran a, a minimum number of possessions. And that's because when he's just when you simplify his process to like beat your man and like when the help comes kick to the shooter, when you simplify his process to that stuff his talent shines. And the big thing that stands out to me and I'm not sure if you've noticed this over the last couple of weeks, His uh, ability to change direction at full speed is top tier in this league. There was a Euro step that he made in a game. Gosh, I wish I could remember which game it was. I think it might've been the Christmas day game where I was like, there might be three or four players in the league that could do that at full speed. Like if I tried it, my right ACL would just just (laughs) evaporate. You know what I mean? Like it just, his agility at full speed is, is pretty remarkable.
0: I talk about the great, great players in the league, their deceleration, like Harden and uh, Luca and Kyrie has it as well, but his acceleration from a stop to go, like you could play great defense on him and then he could just like attack that hip and go right by. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, what's, what's crazy with his style too. Let me know if you kind of picked this up from him, but you know, you you know, those players that are kind of spastic. Yes. Where the game is like too fast for them. Um, And like, so they make good plays, but they also make a lot of mistakes. Like Jordan pool is one of those guys where he looks like he's entirely out of control, but at the same time, not in a way that's detrimental the way it can be for a lot of other players. Like it's kind of crazy. It's super frantic and herky jerky and the changes of direction are fast. There's not a lot of catching holding, reading the floor and making plays. It's kind of just like we're going, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> its a, He's the kind of player that makes great highlights, but drives coaches crazy. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> so um, t- Clay's been playing better, right? Yes. How confident are you that he gets back to peak Clay?
1: You know, peak Clay to me was like what we saw in 2019 before the injury, where uh, the dude just was getting such good lift on his jump shot that he had a confidence. Um, man, like Clay, Clay really was peaking right before that injury uh, um, in the in the NBA Finals. He's playing incredible basketball. I'm not sure offensively that he could ever get quite back to that level. However, you know. Th- Klay Thompson defensively has a very specific skill that I think is super valuable. He's great at guarding big wings. And when he was in his prime, like you could stick him on a small guard too. Like you could put him on Kyrie and he would do his, he would do a job on Kyrie, like Mm -hmm. his job on in the the 2017 finals on Kyrie, super underrated, but like, as he's aged out that that's kind of gone away. But if you put him, like I was watching him against Portland, just locking up Jeremy Grant, on drives to the basket when he's so good at anticipating because those bigger wings, they're they're a little bit more about leverage than they are about beating you to spots. Like it's not really straight line drives so much as like I got a little bit of an angle and I shot that gap with physicality and I blew up your shoulder, got through the shoulder and I got to the rim. Clay is like deceptively strong and stout. And he's very good at anticipating those changes of direction with those big wings. That's how he did such a good job on Jalen Brown in the finals. and, And so the way I see it, if he can still guard big wings the way that he can, obviously you can't leave him wide open. Teams are still guarding him. Like he's vintage clay Thompson. And I think he's averaging about 23 points per game on low 50s true shooting over his last you know dozen games or so. Like His shooting is coming around. I want to say he's about 40% from three on like 13 attempts in his last six games or so. So he's the offense is coming around with him. To me, to me, he's always been a complimentary player anyway, so I'm not as worried about his ceiling as what he does on a possession-by-possession possession basis, and I still find everything he does to be pretty damn reliable. With Warriors fans, it drives him crazy, but
0: yeah. <laughs> So there's been a lot of uh, criticism when it comes to the Warriors' young players. You already mentioned most of their young players. I don't think you mentioned Wiseman, but you mentioned the other ones. Um, Do you think it's fair? I mean, they're champions already, which is kind of crazy to think about, right? They're already NBA champions. Do you think it's fair, the criticism they get? Because after two seasons, I mean, people are just, like, yelling at them, like, you're not this, you're not that, Um, like – Not everybody's LeBron James, not everybody's Luka Doncic, not everybody's Michael Jordan. No NBA players' development is linear. Do you think the criticism has been unfair?
1: Oh, it's completely unfair. But I I think you got to differentiate from criticism of the young players and criticisms of of the front office. Like to me, criticism uh, of the young players' struggles is more an indictment uh, or indictment of what the front office has done by putting them in a position where they have to contribute to a championship level team as guys that are in their early 20s like here's the thing like combo you i know you agree with me on this like (laughs) dude i i made an all-conference team in college average double figures uh had you know half dozen games over 20 points so had a 31 point game was my career high I was like, I, I know exactly the type of player I was back at then. I was terrible. I was, awful. <laughs> I was so bad. If that dude walked in the gym this morning when I was playing, I'd be like, give me this bum. Like I'm going to eat this dude alive. You know, like that dude was terrible. Like young basketball players have so much to learn about how yeah. to contribute at the highest levels of winning. And to, it's, it's remarkable when you find a guy like Jonathan Kaminga, who's identifying little ways that he can contribute or even Jordan Poole. And like Jordan Poole's been the primary ball handler for this Warriors team that has a winning record. I think they're five and three since the Steph injury. That's so impressive for what is he, 24? I think like, yeah, like dude, that's insane. And he's shooting, he's 60% true shooting on 28 points per games. And Steph went down. That's insane. Like, he, like, I I am blown away that they're doing as well as they have been and really the expectations for them to con- like think about what those roles were for Otto Porter Jr. and Gary Payton II how important they were in that playoff run you're asking young basketball players to step into those spots those guys weren't even in the rotation in the playoffs last year it's just a lot to ask it, the, the the front office is asking a lot of those guys
0: yeah and i think The larger NBA community is almost getting spoiled by how ready some of these guys are coming in. Like when you look at Cade, when you look at Scotty Barnes, Evan Mobley, and everybody has expectations of all of their players to be like those guys. And it just doesn't always work like that.
1: No, not at all. You know, there's a lot of Warriors fans who are like, oh, why didn't we take LaMelo? And Don't get me wrong. Like Lamelo has proven. I always, probably, I always
0: think about how great Tyrese Halliburton and Lamelo would be with the Warriors, though. Like, oh, can you imagine? That, yeah, oh do yeah. Don't, don't don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, Ty, Tyrese
1: Halliburton's a different equation because that dude. He kind of reminds me of Malcolm Brogdon, where like the way he sees the floor is so advanced for a young player. You know.
0: Well, let me ask you this, just to change subject slightly. Are you higher on Tyrese than Lamelo by now?
1: Oh yeah. Okay. I, I'm. I'm generally low on Lamelo. There's a bunch of little. I there's things that I really like about his game to be clear. Like the, I love his uh, natural court vision, his ability improvisationally as a passer mm-hmm. to make like from different shooting pockets and dribble pockets to make feeds from different spots on the floor. Like I, I do like LaMelo, but the, the shot selection and the defense stuff is, is really tough for me right now with him, but he's young, but that's kind of my point. that's why I brought him up is like a lot of warriors fans. Are like, why do we take Wiseman? Like LaMelo was the better player, blah, blah, blah. It's like, can you imagine if LaMelo Ball was playing in these high leverage games alongside Steph Curry and like he'd be making mistakes too, especially on the defensive end of the floor. And that fan base would be eating him alive on a nightly basis about how he's not ready. And, and that, and that's the thing you brought up Cade, like it's an advantage for Cade that he can make mistakes in Detroit yeah, and learn how to play. And like, it's actually tougher on guys like Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley who are like obviously there's not big time expectations, at least not until this year for Cleveland, but like those guys are are, like, they're being thrown right into the fire, you know, especially like imagine playing for Nick nurse as a kid with, with a team with winning expectations for a guy like Scotty Barnes. Like it's just, it's a completely different pathway for those guys than it is for guys like Cade and LaMelo.
0: So tell me why Jason, you think the Lakers should trade AD.
1: So for the record, I don't, necessarily uh, what I would have done it's so frustrating frustrating with the Lakers thing is like so many of these opinions and takes made way more sense before the season or early in the season like they by doing nothing have now waited so long that now they've made it so that they're even if they did make a trade it would have to be a slam dunk home run to erase the mistakes that they've made but essentially I, I look at it from two pathways so Pathway one is you believe in the LeBron AD core. Pathway two is you don't, okay? If it's pathway one, then I've got LeBron playing like literally one of the top three or four players in the league over the last month. Like his last 18 games, he's averaging 31, eight, and seven. And the Lakers are like more than 80 points positive when he's on the floor and more than 80 points negative when he's off the floor. It's a huge deal how how well he's playing as of late. Anthony Davis before his injury was also playing at a top five type of level. Now the problem is, is right. As AD was peaking, he got hurt. And then that was right when LeBron kind of took off, which is bad luck. Um, but like you've got one or two options. You bring in some players, give LeBron a fighting chance, which not only might give you a chance to float in the standings, which by the way, they're four and five since AD went down. So LeBron is selling his soul on the floor to carry you to nearly 500 without Anthony Davis with their, there's not a guy on the roster that's taller than me that can dribble, not named LeBron. Like that's how limited they are compared to the other teams around the league. Like they're su- 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 super limited. So give them a fighting chance, make a deal. LeBron can win some more games with your, the, the pieces you bring back in a trade. Then Anthony Davis comes back and that's your ceiling. But if you're done with the AD thing, Oh, this is his third straight year where he has a, a serious injury you know, trade Anthony Davis, you can actually trade him during the season. His value is higher now because of the fact that before his injury, he was playing outstanding. Like literally before this season, his trade value was lower because there was significant skepticism about whether or not he'd ever knock down a jump shot again, whether or not he'd ever get back on the floor and really get into shape again. We never thought we'd see that again. What we saw there over the course of that month before he got hurt. So if that's that, if that value is there, I liked the idea of the Phoenix trade I pitched because you bring back a guy like DeAndre Ayton, which is a win now type of piece. He's on an affordable max that you can flip and trade. Like that, only makes thirty-two million next year. Um, you get a bunch of draft compensation that then you can either attach to uh, uh, salary filler to bring in other pieces, or you can trade LeBron in the offseason now you've got a whole you know cabinet full of draft picks Aiden, and some salary filler that you can start from scratch with but like they need to make up their mind this this whole doing nothing thing is just mind-boggling to me like how is it that you let LeBron go down swinging and you're not swinging as the front office like there's got to be something they just got to have a plan and it just seems like there's no plan
0: Yeah, I mean, I think action is always the move. You have to do something. I agree with you. I think that's in life too, right? Like when you're having issues, you you can't just sit back and let the issues continue to happen. You have to have action. Exactly. Um, So let me, I mean, I've been throwing names out there. I don't know what your thoughts are. Like, I feel like they have to think outside the box, right? Somebody that not everybody's talking about. I'm thinking like Terrence Ross. I've been thinking Eric Gordon for a long time now. Mike James is playing overseas. What do you think about those guys? And is there any outside the box move if you do go the AD LeBron route?
1: Yeah, so I I'm a big believer in slotting um, when LeBron James and Anthony Davis are both playing at the top of their games, uh, the roles for the role players become smaller, thus yeah. more achievable than they can knock them out of the park. Like like um, J,
0: like J.R. Smith is a perfect example of this with the Cavs. Like he didn't have to make decisions, catch the ball, shoot the ball, play hard on defense.
1: Exactly. Once you start taking lower level players and sticking them into larger roles, that's when they start to fall short of that expectation. That's mm-hmm. when the team starts to flounder. So, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis are still the foundation, and AD's coming back, like they've got intel, AD's coming back in two weeks. LeBron beats the Hornets tonight. Now they're only five games under five hundred. Right now they're I think they're four and a half back at eight, which is like super achievable. Like if all that is, if that's the direction you're going, I would target ancillary moves on the wing. So I would. Kyle Kuzma from the Wizards is one of my favorite yes. options. Yeah. None in Patrick, Nunn, or Patrick, Nunn, Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn, And a first for Kyle Kuzma is because that solves a perimeter size issue. They've had all season by would having
0: the, would the Wizards do that though. That's my question.
1: There's a lot of Intel that the Wizards are looking to move some guys. Okay. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bradley Beal and Kyle Kuzma were both on different
0: teams by next season. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, that, that's a, no, that trade is a no brainer for the Lakers.
1: Yes. There's another, they could even, they could even say, Hey, we want more Anthony Davis insur- insurance. So let's take Westbrook. And I I'd have to look at the salaries to be a hundred percent sure. Cause you might have to throw another guy in, but I would take Westbrook and be like, give me Kuzma and Porzingis. And, mm. and now I've got a, a better Oof, center that I can yeah. work around with. And, and then uh it, the, the, the other one that I like that's super radical is if you do end up doing something like the Aton trade, like you flip Anthony Davis for someone like DeAndre Drayton or really anybody else with a bunch of draft picks, that's when I'd turn Russ around and I'd call Washington and I'd be like, "Here's the two firsts that we have access to. Here's all the firsts that came back from trading Anthony Davis. Give me Bradley Beal." And I'll go at it with Aton and LeBron and Bradley Beal and some wings. Uh but again, that's like the most radical trade Anthony Davis route on the LeBron James route with Anthony Davis. I'm targeting wings. I want Kyle Kuzma I want Boyan Bogdanovich from the Detroit Pistons. I'd call Utah and I'd see if I can get like, even just like a guy like Rudy Gay, just functional size on the wing. He could, he could probably be got for cheap, maybe a second round pick and some filler. You know, that's the, the route that I would go because I think having a legit three man, if not two legit wings to put alongside LeBron and AD gets them back to that 2020 mold. Cause that team was huge, man. They
0: were just big everywhere on the floor. Is Utah looking to make moves? I feel like they've been so good that it's like going to be almost hard to move the other way. Right. It's in some capacity,
1: Utah, Utah and Indiana. Those are the two teams that are in this like funky spot where they're both kind of hovering around 500 and like one week they'll drop two or three games because they're just not talented enough. And then the next week they'll win two or three games, like, like against good teams.
0: And you'll be like, Like (laughs) it's it's tough for those good teams to play in Utah. Like Utah has some big wins at home. Absolutely. And so
1: so it's one of those things where it's hard to tell. I mean, here we are, you know, in completely different states trying to figure out what these dudes are thinking in the front office. But like, it's hard to say because I would venture to guess that one of those two teams, Indiana or Utah, closer to the deadline is going to be like, what are we really doing here, guys? Like, what are we building towards? Is this something that's sustainable? I feel like Indiana is the team that's most likely to keep it. Uh, because I think they really like Tyrese Halliburton. I think they really like
0: Ben Matherin. Oh, they're not moving on those guys.
1: Yeah. And I think that like Andrew Nemhart is really good uh, there. I think, I think they're looking at Miles Turner as an extension now. Like they're going to probably keep him. They might make an, a move. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they moved Buddy Healed. you know, but they're probably going to be less active in the trademark because they can actually look at themselves and be like, Hey man, like Tyrese Halliburton is going to be an all NBA wing one day you know, uh, Benedict and he's going to be, you know, he's projecting to be a good player. Like we got something going here at Utah. It's like, I really like Lori Markkinen, but like all those other guys are just role players or do like Mike Conley's having a good season, dude. He's on his way out of the league. You know, Jordan Clarkson's having a good season. He's a sixth man. That's, that's where his, 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 his heart is, you know, I, I like Jared Vanderbilt. But like he's a dirty work player that does a lot, you know, out of the dunker spot rebounding, things like that. Like there's nobody there that's like a foundational piece that gets you really excited except for Lori. And you can totally rebuild around Lori by moving some of these role players for draft picks and trying to reset your timeline. So I think Utah will eventually be active at some point.
0: I talked about this a little bit on my latest podcast, but I'd like to hear hear your thoughts. Um, What are you thinking about Luka's latest magic?
1: What, the 60-2010?
0: Well, he also dropped another what? Oh, what fifty-five? 50, yeah, yeah, yeah. He keeps going. He keeps going. What are your thoughts? <laughs> like, what are your like? Have you learned anything new about him during this streak, or just like what you expect from Luka at this point?
1: You know, it's funny because like I, I obviously have to watch a lot of games, and uh, Dallas is one of my least favorite watches. Not because I dislike Luca, because I, I I find Luca's skill set to be full transparency. Fascinating.
0: Full transparency. I think he's the best player in the league, Jason. I know you don't, but I do.
1: I had him at four coming into the season, and I haven't really thought super hard about that until I usually wait till after the playoffs. But I do have him up in that list. I think very highly of Luca, for the record. I, I think he's very different from James Harden. I think the comparisons there don't make any sense because there's a variety in shot profile with Luca that you don't get with James Harden. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I think Luca is a great player to try to emulate from the standpoint of dribble combinations and uh, body positioning because that dude gets he's kind of like a really good route runner in the NFL. Like he succeeds despite a lack of foot speed because of the way he sells his moves. Everything is built off of a counter. Uh, although, you know, a buddy of mine pointed me uh, this out to me the other day, have you noticed Luka Doncic will never shoot a pull-up jumper going to his right ever?
0: I didn't notice that, but I I did know. I mean, I did notice he's not really like a pump fake one dribble guy in general. I did notice that. uh -uh. Yeah. He
1: like, he'll take fadeaways over his right shoulder. He'll take step backs going to the left, but everything is coming back towards that. You know, that right-handed shooter. I've got my right shoulder forward kind of thing. It's really interesting because I noticed that the other day. I was like, I can't think of a single time Luca's taken like a step back going to his right or like a. Hard, it's all when he goes to his right, he's always going all the way to the rim and taking like floaters and push shots. And it, things it's almost like,
0: that. like it's almost like he he almost they're they're totally different players, but it's almost like the KD thing. Even if you do learn their tendencies, it doesn't matter.
1: It just doesn't because, matter
0: because like especially when Luca gets to the rim and he gets to his spot, you're not going to get him off his spot because he's so big and strong, and then he has the touch on top of that, and then he can get any angle he wants. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't even matter when you know those tendencies at times
1: yeah and for the record yeah like I'm not saying like oh I discovered Lucas Lucas." (laughs) what what, what I'm saying is like because I think his versatility like like to your point makes him unguardable that said I it was just a little funny thing that a buddy of mine brought up and I was like wait you're right like he does not
0: shoot pull-ups going like like if he was, but pump, that, does it? does he ever shoot pump fake one dribble pull-ups in the mid range in any way? He's, that's not true really. at all. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right.
1: But I mean, like, I mean, like if, even from the step back, like James Harden will shoot a step back going left and a shoot a step back going right. Like he'll and, people,
0: right. and people should know that your opposite hand is usually the stronger hand when it comes to the step back it, it, and the Hesley pull as well. For sure.
1: Yeah. It, but like, it, but it's funny. Cause like, I remember when I was building out my skill set, like I relentlessly worked the other side too, because I was like, I want to make sure that I can go over both shoulders. I want to make sure that I can step back on both ways. Now, it doesn't matter to me an amateur basketball player. But my point is, is like, I just thought that was interesting for a guy as skilled as Luca that he seems to be uh, with his strictly with his pull-up jump shot, which like you said, is not a shot he uses that often. Is he's, he's, he's always going to his left. Um, anyway, that team is boring for me to watch because every game looks the same. Like there, it's the same kind of balance between teams, double teaming Luca and him hitting, making Reese's shooters or him making plays. And it's not that I don't enjoy watching Luca. I do. It's just with the other teams. Like every time I watch
0: them, there's a little bit more variety. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, this is what's going to happen, Jason. They're not going to win a championship. And then the narrative is <laughs> going to be Luca to some of your points because of the deficiencies with the team. Luca's not a winner. It's going to, it's going to be that again and this style of play and all that stuff. But I mean, and I like, hate that. I, exactly. Like, basketball is a team sport if you don't have a good enough team it doesn't matter how good you are remember all those years Michael Jordan could not comparing the style of play or their ability at all but just like there was a bunch of years Michael Jordan was the best player in the league and they didn't win championships because the team wasn't good enough
1: yeah and I I have no doubt in my mind that if you know let's say Paul George ended up in Dallas and I'm just throwing a random oh, man. man out there yeah they would figure out a way to play together you know, my, my boss, Colin Coward, was like, oh, LeBron's next move to Dallas. Like, like I've seen a lot of people go, like, who would want to go to Dallas and play with Luca? All he does is the heliocentric thing. And I want to be like, dude, they're doing the heliocentric thing because that's the best thing they can do with that roster to have a chance to win games. Okay, I'm sorry. But, like, Spencer what he's good. He's not a, a superstar an all-star even a star. You know, uh, 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 Christian Wood's having a good season. He's not a guy that you're going to build an offense around. You know, Kemba Walker is a dude they picked up off of Flyers. Like, at the end of the day, they're doing the best they can with what they've got. And I have no doubt that if they made a superstar trade tomorrow, that Luca would be like in the lab going, how do I cater
0: my game to this guy to make this work? I know he would. I, I, I kind of know what the Mavs were thinking when they got Kemba. Like you do need that type of player next to Luca, right? He's just, can he get back to where he was? And then it would be perfect if he did, you know?
1: Yeah. The Dallas system is ba- really simple. Like they're, uh, they're all of their spot up guys are specialists rather than basketball players. So like they don't have really good close-out attackers, but it doesn't matter because Lucas strangles the pace. So most of these guys are catching in the corner with five seconds on the shot clock anyway. So it's not like you want them making six dribble moves. You want them to be able to either shoot a wide open three or maybe do a quick driving kick to the next shooter. And so it's all just base spacing concepts Shooters in the corner, maybe a guy in the dunker spot when they're playing with Dwight Powell or JaVale McGee. But if not, they're going five out and it's beat a guy to a spot, draw that second defender and then hit the open shooter. So having another guy in Kemba Walker who can credibly do that when Luka's off the floor or on the second side of the floor when Luka's taking a rest possession, that's what they needed. I thought it was a smart pickup on their part. And what? He cost nothing basically for them in the grand scheme of things.
0: Most definitely. Last thing, Jason, one piece of basketball advice you'd give your 18-year-old self. Oh gosh.
1: That's interesting. Um, 18 year old. I would say that I didn't really learn a proper basketball work ethic until I was 25. And I think that's the biggest difference. Like I had a, I had a coach once who was like, there's a difference between a shooter and a maker. And, and essentially like To me, the difference between a, like when they say, oh, he's a streaky shooter, the difference between a streaky shooter and a good shooter is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. And like, it's funny because I get on the shooting machine now and I hit between 70 and 80% of my threes from the NBA line. When I was in college, that might've been 50%, if not a little lower wide open in the gym by myself shooting. And at the time I thought I was a good shooter. And so I do the work and I, and I, and I had, I was a really inconsistent, like I had conference play in Juco. I'd shoot 50% from three and I'd make the all conference team. But then the next year they'd, I'd be on an NAIA team where I'm a primarily defensive player and I'm getting a completely different shot profile. And then I couldn't make a shot to save my life. And, and it was because like, the truth of the matter was, is I was actually just an inconsistent, bad shooter. And I didn't understand the proper amounts of work that it takes to actually build the muscle memory to the point where you're automatic. And, and, and that's the thing is like, I just, it feels like a waste. Cause I feel like if I could take my current basketball work ethic and start that from a younger age, I might've had a different timeline. But at the end of the day, like I just started too late, man. Like I, I just, I, I, I literally didn't play my first year of college until my third year out of high school. So like, I, it, there's no, there's no advice that I could have given 18 year old me to save me. Cause it would have been too late. I would have had to start it early. I'd had to been like, it would have had to been like get my dad to show me basketball and get me to fall in love with basketball at the age of seven, instead of me finding it on my own at age 15. You know what I mean? Like that's what it would have taken. I think.
0: Yeah. I'm sure you would have changed your work ethic slightly, And now you just have so much more information. Like if you could be with your age now with, 18 year old Jason Tiff or you would like to say seven year old Jason Tiff and you had yourself every day then things that'd be crazy right
1: (laughs) of course yeah but and that's the thing too and like that's another thing with young players it's like dude you're just like think about I was just so dumb and young I was just so dumb and young are you you
0: saying basically you wouldn't have listened
1: well like it just yeah it's or like lack of priorities you know like you know uh, not you know just just being lazy like it's it, really it's not it's not any more complicated than that but like the truth of the matter is too is I just was a really late bloomer like I just didn't get into the game like literally my I watched basketball for the first time really in 2006 I was 15 wow. years old I was watching LeBron James in game seven of the Eastern Conference semifinals against the Detroit Pistons when he lost it was the year before that he had the comeback win and I was like Oh man, this is cool! And I started watching it, and then I, then I fell in love with the game, and everything took off. But I was just, I just, I picked up a basketball really and shot it for the first time when I was 15. Like that's just, that's just really tough to on that timeline, Um, unless you're just a supreme athlete. And I'm a good athlete, but I'm not a supreme athlete. And and that's where I just, like, the deck was stacked against me
0: from the beginning. But I'm at peace with it. It is what it is at this point. It is what it is, Jason. But you are doing great work with the podcast um thanks man and everything else man uh you know when you talk basketball you're always speaking my language it's probably because you have more of a coaching background than me but we both come from a playing background and when you talk uh-huh. basketball it's like it really you know it just you're speaking my language that's the best way to put it
1: yeah you know it's funny because I, I think we talked a little bit about this last time i was on but like everyone's got their own unique love for the game and their relationship with the game and like and that kind of makes the way we talk about it and yeah, yeah. you know it's it's kind of like bill simmons for instance like bill simmons is not a player but like he's a historian
0: and yeah, like, you yeah. could,
1: and so what? what's cool is like when, when he does like a show and he'll be like breaking down, you know, Bill Russell when he passed away and like, he'll do like an homage mm-hmm. to, uh, to Bill Russell at the start of his show. And you're like, man, like he's the best guy to do that because he's a historian. So when it comes to contextualizing things through like, almost like a dramatic, almost like you're watching a movie about him, like he can do that kind of thing. But it's like for you and I, it's like, when we're talking about Luca and how he gets to his spots, it's like we see it from the standpoint of players because I think you and I both fit that role too of like kind of like s- bi- scoring wing, like yeah. big score. <laughs> like we we both have like higher level uh, – like dribble combinations and iso moves compared to most compared to most amateur players. So, so I'm always seeing it from that side of things. And so when I'm talking about the game, I'm always talking about it from like the player's perspective, what I would see if I was in that guy's spot on the floor, you know what I mean? And that's, that's our unique contribution to all of this. And, and we all have our unique contributions and I think that's what kind of makes this whole space cool. You know what
0: I mean? Most definitely you have to have different perspectives and that makes everything balanced. And Jason, thanks so much for taking the time. Where can we find you?
1: So you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. My shows go up on the volumes, YouTube channel. So just look up the volume on YouTube and then obviously wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Uh, But dude, I really appreciate you having me on. I always love talking the game and I hope to get back on here before
0: the end of the season. Anytime Jason, you're always welcome back and talk soon. All right. Take it easy, brother. There it was. Yet another episode of Combo's Court is in the books. Big thanks to everyone who tunes in to Combo's Court across the globe. Big thanks to Jason for joining in. We appreciate you. Don't forget to share this episode. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Share it on your IG stories. And tag me on there at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 434, 4, Combo. Ow.